Hi everyone and welcome to the TMR Podcast. I'm your host, James M. Fisher, the Editor-in-Chief of the Miramichi Reader website. This is Season 2, Episode 18 of the TMR Podcast. On this episode, we have something special, a first-time event. I'm actually interviewing two people at once, and both of them compose uh, the newest publishing house on the East Coast. We'll get to that in a moment. I also have some uh, more author fall previews, authors themselves uh, giving a little spiel about their book, uh, books that are coming up or are just about to be released here in fall of 2020. So stick around for some interesting conversation and some audio bites from the authors themselves talking about the things they love most, their books. So with me in this episode via Zoom, I'm speaking with Aaron Morris and Heather Epp, and they both uh, comprise the publishing team at Black Box Publishing House, which is the newest publishing house here on the east coast of Canada. Well, So we'll talk to them about uh, why setting up a publishing house in this time, um, what kind of books and authors they're looking to promote, and we'll talk to uh, Aaron a bit about her uh, new book, and the first book produced by Black Box Publishing House, We Happy Few. So uh, let's get to the conversation with Aaron Morris and Heather Epp. Well, welcome to the TMR podcast, Heather and Aaron. Thank you for having us. Mm -hmm, Thank you. Uh, This is the first time I've actually interviewed two people uh, at the same time on the podcast. So (laughs) we're honored to be first. (laughs) So it's... uh, so we may be talking over one another at times, but I'll uh, I'll just step back and let you both do the talking since you are the guests. <laughs> so we're here, or you're both here um, at my invitation because I want to talk about the publishing house you've both set up, Black Box Publishing, and I want to talk about the first title that your publishing house has produced, Aaron Morris's We Happy Few. Um, which is in its second printing, I understand. So congratulations, Aaron. Thank you. That's exciting. It's very exciting, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's begin by talking about uh, Black Box first. So um, I guess the basic questions are what, when, and why. So, so what is Black Box Publishing? Yeah, I, I guess I can step in here. So Black Box is... Uh, I mean, we can talk about it a little bit more as well in relation to the book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all publishers, when they start out, most of them are publishing their own books when they start. Um, you know, they realize that there's a story that needs to be told and that there's a gap kind of in the market. So then they found they found a publishing house to kind of fill that gap. And that's what we've done here. So Black Box is trying to fill the gap of women's literature in Atlantic Canada. Um, It could be that Black Box evolves into something more than that. And I think already it kind of is. Um, You know, we've got a writer's workshop coming up in the fall. Uh, We have, you know, lots of little projects that we're working on that kind of expand past just traditional publishing. Uh, But really our hope with Black Box is to create a place where women, And yeah, that women can come to publish fiction because there isn't, there aren't a lot of publishers in Atlantic Canada that are really focusing on that. Um, Mm. You know, romance in Atlantic Canada is kind of pushed off to the side by a lot of the publishers. 
you know, most of the publishers have pretty strict restrictions on what they are accepting. And women's fiction doesn't always fall into that. It's a pretty narrow gate that you have to walk through to be able to be a woman who can publish in Atlantic Canada. So we just like to make it, we wanted to set up a publishing house where that became more accessible for women, that women who had interesting stories to tell in Atlantic Canada uh, had an opportunity to do that. Okay, fair enough. So uh, like you said, starting locally, um, which is a good way to start um, because there is a lot of interest, a lot of good uh, writing going on in Atlantic Canada. I've certainly found that out by, by starting up the Miramichi Reader and I just started locally and it just sort of branched out from there. But, um, but my focus is still, I like Atlantic Canada. I like, I like this area of the country and the people here. So um, I definitely agree with you, James. I think that there's, there's a lot of really good stories being told mm. in Atlantic Canada and, you know, a lot of regional stories, but also stories that expand past our region. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, your podcast is a great example of that, that there's, there's so many good stories that you can build a podcast out of it. And I know that there are lots of books and stories that aren't on the podcast and there's lots of great publishing houses that are doing great work and have really really interesting stories to be told and you know our house isn't exist doesn't exist because what they're doing isn't good enough it's just to add to that variety right you know to really just expand the diversity of really great atlantic literature that already exists one of the great stories uh, which we'll get to is aaron's book it's kind of historical fiction. I, I don't want to talk about too much about it yet, but I still want to stay with Black Box. But I find people even uh, like I'm from Ontario. So I knew we were taught very little about history. Anything east of Quebec, you know, didn't really matter that much. I don't think I ever heard of the Halifax explosion until I moved here 15 years ago and things like that so uh, so Aaron's book covers the VE Day riots uh, when World War II ended so again that's another part of Canadian history that kind of gets lost the further you move away or you move west from uh, the Atlantic or the maritime provinces even so uh, great you set up here uh, uh, you're based out of Halifax are you Yep. Yeah, I mean, we don't have a proper office yet. So it's our operations are kind of, you know, remote from both of our houses. We yeah. our warehouse is my garage. So, you know, <laughs> we're really starting at the ground level here. Um, and, you know, who knows where it's going to go? Who knows if, you know, it may be that we stay this way for quite some time. You know, we're we try to live by the principle of just enough. So yeah. there's no reason, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no reason to rent out a storage facility for this when we have the space right. available to us. There's no, there's no need to do all of that. So we're just trying to, you know, take what we need as we need it and not go too much further, which is one of the reasons that we were in our second print run. You know, we, we printed our first run based on pre-orders and uh, we, we printed actually more than double the mm. pre-orders that we got. So we, we anticipated that there would be a growing interest in the book and we still even exceeded that but you know the smaller print runs are really good for that principle of doing just enough and right. not overproducing and sitting on a bunch of books that are yeah. just going to sit in a warehouse for yeah. a long well a warehouse being my garage yeah well you know <laughs> a lot of great businesses a lot of great bands came out of garages so uh, I, I wish success to you both on that 
Um, <laughs> so it's good starting small, uh, doing just enough at the time. Um, that's good. So, you, I mean, you have a you have a goal and a purpose, um, but it's it's not a seemingly unattainable one. It's you know you can see uh, you can see the what's ahead of you. So I just uh, just a few more things about black box. I just want to ask some questions. So you just focused on fiction written by women, correct? Just fiction this point like we're really still developing our mandate and you know mm -hmm. Aaron jump jump in whenever you have mm -hmm. something to say about this as well because it is it's very much a collaboration between the two of us to kind of see where we're going um at this point we do have we have the title that we've already published we have one under contract and then one that we're kind of developing um a, sort of a second book for Aaron to work on mm -hmm. and all three of those yeah they're they're women's fiction um I don't think we're always going to restrict ourselves to that because there are other things that we see could be written about that aren't being written about. But at this point, <clears throat> that's sort of what we know about and that's what we have the capacity to publish. Okay. So we're sticking with that for now. If at some point, you know, a great book idea comes along and it feels like we're the right team for it, then great. But otherwise, I mean, there's so many other wonderful local publishers who are doing the other kinds of things that, you know, we just don't have the capacity or the skills to publish. So right. we leave those kinds of things up to them. Good, good. I um, would add to that too, that, you know, part of our ethos is building community as a, as a publishing company. And part of the way that we're doing that is through this fall workshop series that we're offering this fall, where we're working with, we're inviting um, local writers, authors to come and work with us and other local authors, editors, publishers, um, one Saturday morning a month. Part of that goal is to create this community where we're meeting other writers, other authors, other people in the publishing world here on the East Coast so that we can build that community, build that, um, what I would call like a relationship infrastructure so that we can expand when the time is right. So we can meet authors that we'd like to work with. Um, and if they're sort of outside of that, um, that sort of the realm of women's fiction, um, that we can build relationships and sort of move beyond that when the time is right. Um, and so I do think there's much like what Heather was saying a moment ago, I think there is room for growth. Um, and we're open to that. We just want to, we just want to sort of work with, I think that and feel free to clarify, Heather, I think it's fair to say that we just want to create a safe space for women in publishing, um, where their works have, um, you know, it's not to suggest that they aren't valued elsewhere, but that they're like creating a safe space for women in publishing and, and to think about doing publishing in a little bit of a different way that mm -hmm. that there's not one way to create a publishing house and to move forward in the publishing world that there might be different ways of doing it and so some of that might be based on building relationships and building connections with people and and um supporting writers in different kinds of ways so uh, regarding submissions are you accepting them at this time or are you do you have a, like a, a time window that you accept submissions we're going to start this fall. We've actually, as Heather was saying, we've actually just signed our first author who isn't part of the publishing company. <laughs> who isn't you. <laughs> <laughs> who isn't me. Um, and that has been a really new, exciting yeah. um, step to take. Yeah. 
because, you know, some might say that we're not really a publishing company until we have two or three titles, right, that are beyond a member of the publish right. of, of the publishing team. Um, so that was a really exciting step to take. And um, our hope is to can you continue to build those contacts and, and build um, those those working relationships so that we can um, expand, you know, and, and continue to grow. Um, so we're definitely going to open up submissions this fall. That's something people can be looking for and thinking about for sure. Uh, we haven't set a deadline or anything yet, but we thought we would open it up for a couple of months and see what we get, see what comes uh -huh. in, see how see how we can manage it. Um, Heather is very well versed in in uh, the publishing world, and um, and so she comes from from a, a career in that in that field, mm. and. Uh, I am coming at this much more from the perspective of the writer, the author, and I have an education background. And so I think that's part of, you know, as does Heather, actually, um, Heather has uh, some experience in education as well. And so I think that is part of what's feeding this desire to build relationships and connections is that um, that's an important part of work we do in the other realms of our, of our life. So, yeah, so we're going to open up um, submissions this fall. Uh, people can be keeping an eye on the the website to find information about that, and um, and uh, there'll be a submission form and whatnot there. So I'm just distracted by Heather's cat there because I'm a cat person. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty new kitten. Aww. Yeah, he's very small, though he's fifty percent bigger than when we got him. Now, <laughs> yeah, uh, we have two at the moment. One's a temporary. Uh, we're just keeping it for someone who's. Uh, had to move out of their house and they're just an apartment at the moment but mm -hmm. anyway we, so. we had a temporary cat as well james for 15 years so uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's what you want to happen or not but we took a cat for a friend and ended up keeping that cat yeah <laughs> indefinitely yeah well we would if we had to keep this one we wouldn't mind it's not a big <laughs> um so get, to get back to the publishing world so submissions um we were talking about you know uh, People will be notified through your, or they can go through the website, mm -hmm. blackboxpublishing.public, no, sorry, sorry, blackboxpublishinghouse.ca. CA, okay, yeah. good. Um, and also you have a Facebook page as well. Um, yeah, we're, Aaron, Aaron manages all of our social media pretty much. It, oh. I am signed into them and I should yeah. be participating <laughs> more, but I'm so terrible at it. So uh, <laughs> I, I should say that Black Box is active on all the social media, but really it's Aaron. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Doing all of that for, for right. us. That's true. So are you on Instagram? And, we uh, are. Yeah, we're on, on Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. Heather and I are individually on Twitter but not as black box. Okay. So people could find us as individuals, right. but in terms of black box, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and of course our, our website. Okay. So uh, when you do open submissions, just uh, tag the mirror machine reader. Sure. will. Uh, and, and I'll share it around. That sounds great. Yeah. yeah. So I try to keep up on everything, but I always can't. So there's know. just a, there's a, listen, I feel that there's a lot to keep up on. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to um, not, it's, 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 it's hard to not, it's hard to talk about Black Box without talking about We Happy Few, which is my first novel, because Black Box literally grew out of Heather and I working on this novel together. And so if you would indulge me a little bit, James, I'd love to talk about how that kind of happened and came to be. Well, I think um, our time's up now if we have to go. <laughs> 
Heather Heather took it off. The the hook is coming out. (laughs) Um, Wouldn't be my first hook, unfortunately. No, I'm just teasing. Um, I I am on the free Zoom, so I don't, I only have like 40 minutes, they say. So I'll get a warning when that comes up, but uh, I'm not keeping track. So, okay, great. So Aaron, the floor is all yours. Yeah, I, I, um, I just think that sort of how Black Box came to be um, is part of our, I think is part of our value and part of our values for sure. And it certainly speaks to um, the, our ethos as a, as a company. And um, Heather used to be my student many moons ago. And we, we kept in touch over the years. We would regularly see each other at least once or twice a year. And, and um, four years ago, I wrote We Happy Few and um, you know, sort of worked on and off on it uh, after that, after, I, after I, I took a leave of absence and I wrote the first draft and then I sort of worked on it on and off. And this past fall, I reached out to Heather knowing she was where she was. And I said, listen, Heather, I've been working on this project for four years. Could I hire you to have a really objective look at it? Could you really honestly tell me what you think? Um, and we have a very open, honest relationship where we can communicate and be really honest with each other. And, uh, and I said, I'll pay you for your time. And so that, that honestly is really like the, the seed of, of Black Box because Heather read it and we met for breakfast and we had this really wonderful talk where Heather gave me editing notes and Heather's an incredible editor. And so initially that was sort of what she first brought to Be Happy Few was this really precise eye that helped to shape some of the bits that needed shaping or that I was struggling with. And, um, and then from there, we were talking about publishing options. And, you know, I'd had lots of positive responses to We Happy Few here on the East Coast, but nobody wanted to publish it. Mm. And so that was part of why I had Heather look at it. I said, Heather, I don't really know what to think because I've never been told it's terrible. I've never been told to start from scratch, tear it apart and start from scratch. All of the feedback from, you know, the half a dozen or more people I had sent it to said, this is great. We've published something like this, or this Mm. is great, but maybe it's a little too racy for us, or this is great, um, but it's not a good fit. And so I really needed to know, I needed someone to tell me, like, was this worth going any further into? Was it worth pursuing any further? And I thought, well, at the end of the day, if I move on to my second novel and this just sits in a drawer somewhere, um, at least I... I learned how to write a book and maybe the second one will be better. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and Heather looked at it and loved it and said, this is a story that, that people need to hear. It's a story particularly that women need to hear and talk about. And, and she said, listen, we can, um, we, I can help you, you know, we can look at some other options here, like who else I think you should send it to, or, or we could publish this ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, at first I was very hesitant and, and uh, Heather said, you know, like, you're between what you know and who you know and what I, what I know and who I know. Like, I think we can get this published ourselves. And initially I said, that's really nice, but no. And then I sort of cycled around and sat on it and thought, okay, well, you know, what would that look like? So we came back together for another breakfast and what would that look like if we did that? And what would the next steps be? And who would we need to connect with? And from that second conversation, we started building this idea of, well, what if what if we didn't just publish this? What if we started a small publishing company? Because we had really enjoyed working together in this way. It was a new sort of, mm-hmm. you know, perspective, new new part of our relationship as former student and teacher. And um, 
And so, and I think we complement each other really well. Heather has incredible um, knowledges and experiences and skills that I don't have. And I think likewise, I have incredible knowledges and experiences and skills that she doesn't have. And so together, I think we work really well as a team. Mm. And so that was sort of, it's kind of snowballed from there. And we said, well, you know, one of the things that's important for us is to work with as many uh, East Coast, um, you know, editors, designers, printers, you know, as much as we can. Um, and so the first print run of We Happy Few was entirely every member, every person who worked on that book was a Nova Scotian from nice. our, from our, our cover designer to our layout, to our printer, every, it was completely the copy editor, everybody. It was yeah. completely yeah. created yeah. here in Nova Scotia. And that, you know, was really, that became a really fun little puzzle, like yeah. to put the pieces together yeah. to figure out like, who can we get? And you know, and of course, as we expand, obviously, so, you know, probably the, so will that idea of expanding like into the East coast and, and, and whatnot, but that was just a really neat sort of, uh, idea that came to us. And that's out of that grew. Well, let's print as many as we think we need. Let's not overdo it. Let's not waste paper. Let's not, you know, let's not, you know, order and, and have to ship if we don't have to and things like that. So, we're, we are trying to be, I think that's our, our version of being mindful of the, the environment and waste and, and taking what you need as opposed to more than you need. Um, and that's sort of how Black Box started was, was just a teacher and their former student, you know, getting together and comparing notes and then this sort of idea snowballed. And we just loved working together so much. And we thought, could we keep doing this? And what would it look like? And, mm -hmm. and it's funny now, I for, like, I, I don't know how you feel, Heather, but um, I, I forget now that Heather's like that. And I don't forget that Heather was my former student, but I forget that she's not my contemporary. Do you right. know what I mean? Yes. I just forget because she brings so much to the equation and, and she's such an important part of what we do. And, and she, like I said, she knows things that I don't and you know, there are some things that I know that she doesn't, and I think right. it balances it nicely. Uh, a couple of things you mentioned there and made me think uh, back, to, back to, so Black Box Publishing House. So if someone brings you a manuscript um, and says, you know, can, would you consider this or they submit it, do you provide, you provide editing services and all that as well? If, if we end up accepting the manuscript, yes. we're not the kind of publishing, we're not like a publishing service where people could pay us to right. you know, help, help them edit their books or exactly. even print their books. <clears throat> there are other um, local publishing services that do offer that kind of thing. We're not at a point where we, where that's what we're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if the, if the book comes to us and it's a, it's a manuscript that we'd like to move forward on. Yeah, I think it's really important to work with the writer to produce the best the best book possible right. out of what was given. So if we see opportunities, then we ask them to push on those opportunities. If we see things that, um, you know, maybe go off in a way that make it confusing for the reader, mm -hmm. then we work with them to clarify that. That's all that that was definitely part of the process that Aaron and I used and it will definitely be part of the process moving forward. I think it's important to help, um, you know, budding writers, which are probably most of the people that we'll be working with budding authors, um, you know, to help them along with those skills. But I mean, also, it's just so rare that you come across a manuscript that's just ready to hit print. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
And I think a lot of authors, if you ask them, like, what's the best advice you can give is get an editor, you know, get your get your uh, manuscript edited, you know, just don't go publishing it yourself as it is, as is. So, mm. so that's great. So it sounds like a, a really good setup you two have going uh, back to Aaron a little bit more about uh, We Happy Few. So just just give us a synopsis of the story, Aaron, and how you came across this event and why you wanted to work it into a story. Uh, so We Happy Few um, takes place in Halifax at the end of the Second World War, in particular during the two days of rioting that took place on May 7th and 8th, 1945. And uh, those were called the Halifax Disorders or the Halifax Riots. And uh, all of this is told from the perspective of a female welder, a young woman who is um, working as a welder in the shipyards during the sort of second half of the Second World War. And so it's really, um, it's really a, a book about women's work during that time period. And, you know, there's obviously a component of like women's um, pleasure as well. So who gets to decide who, what these things are, you know, uh, and our main character, um, Polly, you know, uh, her journey uh, throughout the book is very much her sort of figuring that out for herself as a young woman who gets to decide what the work is that I do and who gets to decide to decide what pleases me and makes me happy. And, um, and so in some ways, Polly is a little bit of a woman who's ahead of her time. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, you know, the more readers that read it and get, you know, especially like readers who are very close to that generation, um, or of that generation, the more I have readers from that time period, read it, the more I'm hearing that, yeah, this is, this was a, a time of experimentation for women. They were trying new things because they could, and they had to. And, um, you know, during these events, like the world wars, um, was an amazing opportunity for, for sort of these jumps forward in, in sort of the, you know, um, I don't know, evolution of, 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 you know, women in the workforce and women as property owners and certainly feminism, there was giant leaps in feminism mm. during those time periods as well. So, um, yeah. And the, um, you know, interestingly enough, <laughs> the, the sort of like source material, the, the seed of the idea for the novel came from um, my grandpa's connection to this event my grandfather was uh, what they called a beat cop at the time period mm -hmm. and um so he was i think 25 years old very pretty young still and was um assigned to work the streets he didn't have a a weapon he had, he had a billy club that's all they carried and so my grandfather um had saved all these you know he had saved sort of the results of the inquiry afterwards he had a file mm -hmm. and I had just expressed interest in this event. I remember when I discovered that this happened here in Halifax, I was personally just, I was really surprised that this happened in, in my city, the city that I love that, you know, we're totally characterized as friendly and kind. And um, so I just started doing some research and found that my grandfather had been connected. And then that became, then I had all kinds of stories from my aunts about that, you know, he was, he was long gone by then, but I had all these stories that he had shared with them and this file folder of resources to use and I continued my own research in other ways but um, that to me felt like a little flag like you're on the right path you have this connection to this mm -hmm. to this story keep pursuing it and then as my research continued it it became clear to me that I was going to tell this story from a woman's perspective 
because we have so many historical um, moments told and shared and, and retold, um, but not always from a female perspective. And I thought, oh, this could be cool to see what to, to imagine living through those days of rioting from a yeah. woman's perspective and what Definitely. did that feel like? Yeah. The other uh, question I wanted to ask is, so so you had this connection to the actual riots. And uh, again, yes, it was surprising that such a thing could happen. Um, although Halifax was a port city, so there was a lot of different, um, I guess you could say nationalities at the time, a lot of different service groups. Uh, I mean, there was a big Navy port at the time. Mm -hmm. um, kind of probably the riot wouldn't have happened if it wasn't such a large port, uh, obviously, right? Yeah. Uh, it would have been more of a celebration. But I think uh, from what your book mentions, they they closed the liquor stores. Uh, and uh, so there was no, there was no uh, access to uh, liquor and uh, a few other things kind of combined to, and there was a very lack of police uh, or security too. So yeah, all of this contributed to uh, an uncontrollable mob. Yeah, and I think also that all of these sort of people who had found their way to Halifax during that time period during the war years, you know, people found their way here because they were posted here or loved ones found their way here because they knew that their men who were traveling overseas would be coming back and forth to Halifax at some time. So the size of the city grew very, very quickly within a very short period of time. And we just didn't have the infrastructure to manage it, um, which is interesting because this is a problem we're experiencing now as well, right? That we're growing quicker than we can respond. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of these people sort of came into the city uh, both people in service and their loved ones and people connected. And, and, you know, I think what happened was there was a real sense of, you know, all of these come from a ways being now being in the city. And I don't know that people always felt as welcome as, as, you know, as we sort of mm -hmm. think Halifax, we think of Halifax as this really warm, welcoming place, but I don't know just from the research, I don't know how, how truthful that was or how that, how that, if that felt, if it felt that way during this time period. And so, you know, they took these homes, for example, and they chopped them up into little tiny apartments. Um, they weren't really like appropriately sized living quarters for people, right. but they were, you know, people were trying to make a buck. They saw yeah. that there was all this room yeah. in the city and people needed lodging and that sort of thing. So I think the other piece, in addition to all those things that you mentioned, the other piece is also that there was a, a vibe in the city from those who had sort of made their way to Halifax where they felt disconnected, unappreciated, very much on the outside of things. Mm -hmm. And so although the rioting began with the servicemen, it didn't take long for Halifax civilians to get in on, on what was happening yeah. Yeah. because they, you know, they felt, you know, they had a lot of um, frustration with what had been happening um, during those few years, during those last few years in particular of the war. I have read quite a few books, uh, like nonfiction uh, accounts of uh, World War II, the and uh, you know the Battle of the Atlantic, mm -hmm. and uh, they mentioned Halifax wasn't the most welcoming place. They much preferred to be in uh, St. John's if if they could, uh, you know, be out of St. John's. But then Halifax. Yeah, like like you, James, I've I've read a lot of nonfiction about this, yeah. and what I really appreciate about what We Happy Few does is that it brings you into the town so all of these little facts that I've learned about Halifax you know okay it was a port city and there was like you said James lots of different people coming together and like Aaron mentioned you know these tiny little houses that weren't very accommodating but instead of just 
having all of those facts in isolation, I suddenly was immersed into the town and could feel how that would feel to have all of those isolated facts surrounding you as a community. And then, so, so it really painted a picture for me for how these events could have happened, why they did happen, right. you know, how one thing led to another so that then, you know, when victory is declared, it's not a celebration. In fact, it turns into this big riot because of all of this pent up emotion yeah. that yeah. everybody stationed there is feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the fact that there was no outlet. So they had shut down liquor stores, movie theaters. There was nothing for, you know, these service men and, and, and some women, there was no, there was nothing for them to do. Yeah. Right. There was some fireworks on the Hill. There were some bands playing up on Citadel Hill, but there wasn't a party. And what people wanted was to party and celebrate yeah. Yeah. and um the mayor at the time had said like no we got to keep it we got to keep things under control they knew they had a large number of service people in port and they were really trying to you know keep things under control but that really backfired for them yes yes yeah i uh -huh. hope that the city comes across as a character um i really worked hard to make her uh come alive for the reader um and i hope i hope that she feels alive and, and and that there's a sense of that she's almost a character in and of herself yeah i really do think that 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 she does feel like a character you know like it it feel you can feel the city and it feels it it feels different than just sort of a place that doesn't really exist it feels mm -hmm. like a real place it's so grounded in what was actually happening and I mean, there's so much a sense of place in the book that you really can root yourself into it and nestle into it and become familiar with the with the city just from reading the book. And I, I like the fact that you include a, a map in the front for for us non-Haligonians. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I mean, I've been there a few times, but I don't I don't know the major streets and, and ways to get around. Did you? I, one other question I had for you. Um, perhaps Heather, you could answer this, is did you uh, seek out any grants or anything from the, from the government of Nova Scotia or Canada? Not at this point. I mean, when the project, as Aaron's already described, um, we didn't seek out any grants to publish the book because it was sort of this rolling project that was evolving from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. um, we've now looked in, I mean, as Aaron mentioned, I work in publishing outside of Black Box as well, so I'm pretty aware of the grants that are available to writers and um, to artists. We, I don't think yet we would qualify as a publisher for granting purposes because there's some pretty um, strict, uh, you know, requirements yes. for publishers as far as, you know, how many sales you've made and how many titles you've published and things like that, which it would be great if granting bodies would open that up to be more inclusive of, you know, people who are just starting out. Right. Um, but otherwise, I mean, yes, we have considered applying. There are grants kind of on the horizon that we'll apply to for some. Uh, I mean, for the workshops, we could hopefully apply to some grants for that. Right. Um, and then there's, you know, there's writers reserves grants, basically, that we could be applying to for future projects. Um, so definitely we haven't made use of any grants at this point, but hopefully we will in the future. And we're also hoping that in the community that we're creating, it can we can become a resource for writers to come to to ask those kinds of questions, because so much of it is a big question mark to people that they just don't know what grants are available. Yes. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of the granting bodies, they do have really great people at the other end of things who will answer your questions and will have meetings with you to clarify their requirements. So, you know, that's out there, but sometimes people just need somebody who's separate from the organization to walk them through it. Right. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, I want to thank you both very much. Um, I, I feel kind of excited about this. I'm talking to a, a publishing house that's literally starting from square one <laughs> uh, and is moving on to square two quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so um, I will post uh, some links to your sites, uh, your Facebook page. Um, uh, on your website, there's a link to the Writers Workshop, I assume. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'll make sure to mention that. Once again, thank you both for joining me this evening uh, from uh, from Nova Scotia. And uh, I wish you a good evening and thanks again. Thanks for having thanks. us, James. Thanks. Yeah, thanks so much. You're welcome. The first author we're going to meet is Margot Fedorak, whose book Cooking Tips for Desperate Fishwives, an Island Memoir, will be published by Heritage House Publishing in October 18th of this year. The book is part love story, part survival story, part meditation on family dysfunction. This offbeat memoir chronicles the unpredictable life of a young wife and mother on Gabriola Island. Margaret Fedorak is a writer, book reviewer, and entrepreneur whose work has been published in the Globe and Mail, Quill Inquire, BC Book World, Ormsby Review, and Portal. She holds a BA from the University of Winnipeg and a BA from Vancouver Island University, where she majored in creative writing. For more information, you can visit her website at margofedork.ca, and I'll provide a link at the, uh, on the, in the podcast notes. So here's Margot Fedork talking about her book, Cooking Tips for De Desperate Fishwives, an Island Memoir. Hello, my name is Margot Fedorik, and I'm the author of Cooking Tips for Desperate Fishwives, an Island Memoir. This book is for anyone who may be interested in how a prairie girl from Winnipeg met an urchin diver and uh, moved to a small island, Gabriola Island, and raised a family. This book will interest anyone who loves to try recipes in books. Um, I've got some great recipes from my baba in here, some blintz recipes, some pilmeni recipes, and then when I move out west, um, I get influenced by the seafood, you know, so we did a lot of wild crafting. Um, there's some oy grilled oysters recipes in here and clam chowder and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so yeah, hope you love my book. We are all made of water. 60% of our bodies are comprised of it, and water collects in the heart brain and lungs. Our unformed bodies float in the womb in a sack of water. On Winnipeg's slick sidewalks, my heavy waterproof boots had crunched in the snow. I never once thought of its liquid source, just three provinces away in the Pacific. Yet it would seep into all aspects of my life, pour in, sweep me up, immerse me in a world defined by the salty sea. My father smoked players' lights, and their logo was a profile of a sailor circled by a life boy. I swore I would never marry anyone like my father, but perhaps I had associated my father not with fire, but with what could extinguish it, the sea. While his nicotine-stained fingers fished for a stick in the crumpled pack at his dirty kitchen table, or on the dashboard above his overflowing ashtray, 
I cracked open a window, even when it was 30 below. My father patted his pockets, hunting for that pack as he boarded greyhounds driving away from me. So perhaps it is no surprise that, like an old friend, I fell into the arms of a sailor. Next up on our fall author promo is Jack Knox. Jack lives in Victoria, BC, and uh, he's written a book called Fortune Knocks Once, More Musings from the Edge, and it's to be published by Heritage House as well uh, in October. Jack Knox is the author of three best-selling books, Hard Knocks, Musings from the Edge of Canada, and Opportunity Knocks, 20 Years of Award-Losing Humor Writing. Both were long-listed for the Leacock Medal for Humor. All of his books are based on a popular column in the Victoria Times Colonist. Women adore him. Men want to be him. His hobbies include cycling, playing in a rock and roll band, being awesome, and self-delusion. So here's Jack to talk about his new book, Fortune Knocks Once. Hi, my name's Jack Knox. I live in Victoria on Vancouver Island, way out on the edge of Canada, or perhaps reality, where for the past quarter century I've written a column for the daily newspaper. I've also written a new book, Fortune Knocks Once, which is based on that column, just like my three previous books were. Uh, Fortune Knocks Once is a collection of short, humorous pieces. Why humor? Uh, because for many of us, the past three years have been like jamming a fork and a light socket and trying to hang on. By now, we could all use a laugh. There's been way too much tension in our lives. And so that's all this book tries to do, is give you a reason to laugh. It won't change your life. It won't offer you deep insight into the human condition, and it won't, you know, unlock ten secrets to your inner you or whatever. But it should let you drift off to sleep with a smile on your face. Some of the pieces poke fun at uh, Victoria and Vancouver Island and BC, but really you don't have to live here to get the humor. It's pretty universal. Much of what I write falls into the category of social commentary. Some of it tilts toward the absurd. I write about road rage and phone addiction and totally being a social media influencer. And I write about losing my heart to a cow who bolted for freedom soaring over a farmyard fence like Steve McQueen in The Great Escape, just like we sometimes all yearn to do. So who like this book? Probably your brother or your mother, you do love your mother, don't you? Don't you? Come on, get it from mom. Trust me. TMR, the Miramichi Reader, Canada's best regarded source for the finest in new literary releases. Visit miramichireader.ca. So I want to thank everyone who appeared on this episode in reverse order Jack Knox. Margot Fedorik, and Helen Epps, and Aaron Morris of Black Box Publishing House. On our next episode of the TMR podcast, we'll be uh, talking with Lisa DeNicolitz, who has a new book out, Everything You Dream Is Real, a follow-up to The Rage Room of uh, last year. So we look forward to talking to her, and uh, thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be pr providing links at the end to 
uh, all of the authors that appeared here. And if you uh, take the time to share this around social media, I appreciate it. And leave a rating as well. And this helps others to find us in the podcast universe. So uh, once again, I'm James Fisher, the Editor-in-Chief of the Miramichi Reader. And I thank you very much for listening to the TMR Podcast.